Thanks for finding Organic Matters once again. It's, uh, it's kind of fine to know that I have people out there that take the time to find me every week. Appreciate that. Either way, tell your friends. Uh, you can write me at nature-approved at Yahoo. You don't have to go all through. If you don't want to go into a podcast, just go into bruce.dooley.com. Spell my name right, bruce.dooley, D-E-U-L-E-Y.com. They can have all the shows for free. I don't. I, don't uh, I pay for my own shows. I don't want advertisers telling me what I shouldn't be saying. Let's call this part of the show my nature nerd section. I try to do this, eh, not every week, but most weeks. But this is one kind of dear to my heart. Background again, I know most of you don't care. I was a serious herpetologist when I was younger, mostly with turtles, but in, interested in basically uh, cold-blooded animals. I've used this term before. Amphibians are indicator species. Those folks in my um, eighth grade lay terms are frogs and salamanders. Use amphibians like salamanders, toads, and tree frogs and other indicator species to show when pollutants threaten local ecosystem health. Now think about that. It's not as hard as it, uh, as it sounds. As a matter of fact, it works in most places. Salamanders, toads, frogs, tree frogs, and other amphibian indicator species show when pollutants threaten our local ecosystem's health. And that means even around your house, folks. Ecologists and environmental scientists use a wide range of animals and plants to become indicator species to get an idea about the ecosystem's health of the streams, the forest, or even just the local area that particular species lives in. Some of these species are tolerant of pollution, such as certain bacteria, algae, so their presence indicates the presence of pollutants like sewage. Other species are intolerant of pollution, such as certain bacteria or algae, so their presence indicates the presence of pollutants like sewage. Other species are intolerant of pollution or environmental disturbance, such as mayflies, for instance, and a lot of fish species. So there presence is an indicator of a healthy ecosystem, while their absence indicates you yeah, got problems. And it appears that for sure, one group of organisms most sensitive to environmental change appears to be amphibians, which of course includes frogs, toads, and salamanders. For many years, scientists have been noticing a severe decline in amphibians around the world, not just here in the States. Many species have completely disappeared, while others have become extremely rare or have started developing all kinds of deformities, like frogs with extra legs, folks. Yes, it's really happening. As a result, amphibians have come to the forefront as an indicator species. But you don't have to be a professional ecologist or environmental scientist to help monitor this decline. You can do something as simple as keep an eye on your very own garden. So some people have questioned me, why is the amphibian population so sensitive? One thing that makes frogs, toads, and salamanders such sensitive environmental indicators is their skin. Unlike reptiles, birds, and mammals, all of us, amphibians are still partially tied to the water, spending at least part of their life cycle as eggs and juveniles in a total aquatic environment in most cases. The eggs don't have a hard shell around them, like the eggs of reptiles and birds, and must remain in the water or they'll just dry out and die. The juvenile forms, tadpoles in most cases, breathe through gills like fish, extracting oxygen from the water. Not until they develop into adults do amphibians possess lungs. Well, truth is, most of them do. Some never get lungs, allowing them to leave the water. 
And even then, as adults, most amphibians have to keep their skin moist by staying near water or damp areas, since they partially breathe through the entirety of their skin. There's actually a few species of salamanders called lungless salamanders because they never have lungs and have to depend completely on their skin to breathe. Because the skin is so porous and absorbs gas, oxygen, and liquids like water, amphibians at all stages of life are ultra-sensitive to environmental change, especially many types of pollution that may be in the atmosphere, water, or soil. So you might ask, what does all this have to do with the health of my garden? Whatever affects amphibians probably also affect people to some degree. Because frogs, toads, and salamanders are so sensitive to pollutants, and because they're so much smaller than humans, they will likely show signs of problems in your garden way before you can tell it's going to affect or it affects you. They can serve the same function in kind of an essence as the canaries used to serve for coal miners years ago. Being more sensitive to poisonous gases than the humans, when the canary became sick or fell off its perch or died, the miners knew they better get the heck out of the cave or the coal mine they were working in. This is not a hard thing to do, folks. If you provide abundant habitat for amphibians and have a healthy population of them in and around your garden area, that is a great indicator that you have a healthy environmental system there. If they start disappearing or showing deformities, you probably have some problems, especially with water or maybe even your soil. So watching for the warning signs, what would they be? The pH of your water source or your pond, if you have a little one, which I love, may affect the development of both the eggs and tadpoles of salamanders, frogs, and toads. Low pH, water, and soil is acidic. As such, it can cause toxic substances such as heavy metals, lead's an ideal example, to dissolve more easily and be absorbed more readily through the amphibian's skin. For those amphibians that stay in or near water, even as adults, most frogs and some of the salamanders, these toxins are harmful. A wide variety of inexpensive and easy-to-use water and soil pH test kits are readily available at most any nursery and even at the big box stores. Environmental pollutants may be in low enough concentrations as not to kill the amphibians, yet they may still cause deformities like extra limbs or limbs growing in places uh, on strange parts of their body. In the 1990s, biologists started noticing unusually high numbers of frogs with these malformations and began to look into the possible causes. While one culprit seemed to be a naturally occurring parasite called a trematode, researchers indicated that some environmental factors might have made the frog more susceptible to these trematodes by weakening their overall immune systems. Studies on frogs in areas subjected to lots of insecticides and herbicides showed a much higher occurrence of deformities than those in areas where the pesticides were either very low or really not even used. So folks, this is just another reason for reducing and eliminating the use of pesticides and other chemicals because they'll do nothing but benefit your garden and, in this case, your local amphibian populations. Carefully observing the amphibians that live around you in your yard and garden, watch for signs of deformities for one thing, or population numbers is a good way to monitor the natural health of the area you live in as well as where they are. Also, paying close attention to amphibian numbers is a good way to monitor the health of your immediate environment around you. 
In general, becoming familiar with the species found most often around your place is a good way to monitor the environmental health of your homestead or your garden area. And if you're interested, there are numerous field guides to amphibians and reptiles available at the library or online and any decent bookstore. Most state wildlife agencies also have some literature available describing the state's fancy word, herpetofauna. That's a gather word for both reptiles and amphibians, folks. If familiar species that have been present for a long time suddenly become scarce or disappear completely, that's mom. That's Mother Nature's alarm system telling you, hey, something's wrong here. And I should mention, as a matter of fact, using amphibians as indicators doesn't have to be limited to your garden. The techniques can be used by anyone to monitor the health of their favorite natural area. Let's say, for instance, duck hunters or fishermen concerned about the environment, health of a marsh or a lake or a river that they frequent. Amphibians are ancient and remarkable animals that survived the extinction, incidentally. They were here before and after the dinosaurs. We shall have much to learn from them, not the least of which is their ability to warn us about the quality of the environment we share with them. So if you want to encourage amphibians in the area, especially uh, one I can tell about because I did it regularly, uh, tree frogs. You can provide refuges for tree frogs very simply. All you do is nail a piece of PVZ pipe. I used it, oh, 18 inches to 2 feet long and about an inch or so in diameter, just something you've come up with, to a tree eh, about 5 or 6 feet above the ground and preferably uh, shaded to some degree. Then you take the bottom and you cap it and you put a small drain hole. Yeah, I, I put like two inches from the bottom. So that what happened is you've got a little reservoir of water down at the bottom of that thing. All right. It was unbelievable how many tree frogs were shown to use my pipes as refuges from the daytime heat. The pipes should eh, it'd be best if they're close to ponds or pools. But mine worked fine in where I was doing what we call open Watering. In other words, I wasn't to use the subterranean, but, you know, spray, uh, water sprayers. They just seemed to live there. I'd seen them week, well, some year after year, and I even, sounds strange, I even got to know some, surprised that they'd lived two or three years, and it was the same animal. I will mention, although I love fish too, that uh, you'd first think fish are just like a natural addition to a pool. But if you're really trying to protect your amphibians, both salamanders and frogs, uh, f most fish are predators of amphibians. Okay, Even some amphibians, such as bullfrogs, eat other frogs. Bear that in mind. Great big bullfrog can wipe out your regular frog population. Uh, so you have to be careful with them. This is especially true in those areas where bullfrogs have been introduced from outside their native range, which is actually all out west. There's a bunch of places where you can find bullfrogs. They never were there until we, quote-unquote, civilized the place and they came along with us. That's the last idea for your garden area, even if you don't want to put in a full-fledged pond which is always nice, but it does require some extra labor and work. I put in bogs. I just put in low areas where you dig it out and put peat in, and you go and buy some uh, either perennial or even annual water plants. And li literally what happens, or what happened in the last one I did, is the overflow that somewhat naturally came from the garden I was sprinkling and taking care of was just enough to set in that low area and make the perfect habitat for number of frogs 
especially leopard frogs in my part of the country. If you're in the bullfrog area and they're supposed to be there, that's fine. And then there's a number of spadefoot and other toads that we're not familiar with. And what really surprised me after a year or two is early, early spring. I don't even know where they came from. I had a... uh, a run, I guess is going to be the word I use, of the most beautiful little salamanders you've ever seen. Eh, three or four inches long. Mostly they were marbles. I looked them up black and, and white. But occasionally, uh, if you're in the right area, you'll even see some bigger ones called tiger salamanders. And they really do need the environment. They're in real trouble. So that would be a win-win for both you and them. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. Organic Matters.